This is The Mentor with Mark Burris. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. Today we've got the founders of two completely different businesses joining us, both in their growth phases, both very, very eager and anxious and enthusiastic. First up is Rebecca Kladinsky, who decided to start her own swimwear label, Frankie Swimwear, which is four years ago with no experience in fashion. Wow. She even packed a backpack to visit Indonesia and China to find a manufacturer. That's gutsy. She's definitely a brave woman, and she's got a very exciting story. Then after that, we have Jack Perkins and Alex Peck, who have started up an app called Parallel Parking. This app allows homeowners to lease their garages, driveways, and carports to people looking for a car park. Very smart. It's a really great idea, and I'm sure they've got lots to talk about. Okay, let's get into it. Hi, Rebecca. How are you going? Hi, morning. Good. How are you? This is Rebecca Kladinsky. Rebecca Kladinsky is from Frankie Swimwear, and this is our first Skype interview. Uh, so, And Rebecca's in our uh, Melbourne studios. How are you going? All right? Good. Cold. Very cold. It's cold down there, is it? Freezing. It's not too bad, eh? Um, yeah. Not too bad. What's Frankie? Tell me about Frankie Swimwear. What, where the name come from, etc. The name is just my dog's name. I was registering on ABR or the business website and he jumped on my lap. I didn't have a business name and it stuck. I just named it Frankie. Oh, that's a cool name. Frankie, it's sort of, it's, got, it's sort of a bit funky, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, I think so. Does your dog appreciate how important he's become? I don't really think, no. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's the inspiration, your mm-hmm. your dog. Uh, what sort of dog is he, by the way? He's a Yorkie. A Yorkie. He, have you put him in a, a swimwear yet? <laughs> no, yeah, he chews them sometimes. Well, maybe you could put him uh, like a little bikini on him and sort of put him up on Instagram. Um, that would get a bit of a kick. He's been on Instagram one or two times. He has. Now, what is your experience in the swimwear or the rag trade generally? Zero. Zero experience. What no inspired you to do background. it then? Why did you do it? How did you do it? I mean, it-, it was never something that I set out to pursue. I've always been interested in business and I've always been interested in extracurricular activities to make money, um, but it was never something that I had set out to conquer. So you had a job. What was it? I had many jobs while I was at uni. I worked at Telstra. I worked retail, lots of things. And you were at uni. What did you do? I did a double degree in psychology, forensic psych and psychology. Right. Okay. So you're, you know, you understand people's behavior. Yeah. At least in a... um, theoretical and in an empirical sense, you know, yeah. you know where people behave, why they behave. Um, and so, so you got a, a degree in psychology and that's one. And whilst you're at university, you got a job straight after that, I guess, did you? No, I actually didn't finish uni. I deferred to pursue Frankie because I couldn't manage, I couldn't balance my time fulfilling orders and working and going to uni. So I deferred. So whilst you're at university, you set up Frankie? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, I'm sort of looking at you from Skype here, so I can't really work out how old you are, but uh, you're a young girl by the look of things. 28. 28. Killing them. Okay, so we're 28. How long have you been doing Frankie for? for? This is my fourth year around the sun, so four years. Okay, so around the sun, I like it. So uh, <laughs> when you're 24, you're at university doing a double, psych, a double major in psych or a double degree, whatever it was, and then you've got inspired to do this swimwear business. Okay, tell me what inspired you. My sister actually came home one day with a bikini that she took off lay-by and it just struck me as strange that you would have to lay-by something so small and simple as a bikini because the prices were obviously too expensive for uni students. And then I was looking around and there was nothing in the market that was sort of a happy price and I thought something has to change, I'll give it a go. Why can't I do something like that? And that was it. So I went out, 
packed my suitcase, backpack, went to overseas and found a manufacturer. So just, just like that? Yeah. So you decided I can make something as good but cheaper? Yeah, that's well, it. Well, maybe I can. Well, no, I thought I could and I was frustrated that nobody else was doing it and my sister was lay-buying bikinis. What, like, just explain to me, like, I don't know, I mean, itsy-bitsy, any-winny bikini. I mean, like, uh, how much does one of those things cost that your sister was lay-buying them? I mean, the price she was paying was marked up by 600%. What? Yeah. It's serious? So, like, yeah. it's, it was so expensive she had to put on lay-by and pay it off effectively. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, I don't understand all that. But what was it a branded – so it's a branded swimwear, was it? It was a branded swimwear. It was a popular Australian brand of swimwear, which is fine. But just the thought behind that doesn't sit well with me. It's confusing. Okay. So that, that makes sense. So, like, the, the hallmarks of um, – Disruption, generally speaking, are cheaper, faster, but the same. So in other words, can I build a cheaper uh, mousetrap? Can I produce it faster and get it out to the customer base um, using the internet? And uh, can I build it as effective or maybe slightly better? So that's that's the typical business model of a disruptive business. So what you've gone and said sitting there, doing your studies, uh, can I make it a bikini um, as cheap? Uh, sorry, can I make a bikini a bikini cheaper, same quality, close enough, maybe slightly better even, mm. and can I get it to people? Was that your thought process, did you That's think? That's exactly it, yeah. So what you did, toddled off then to, uh, would you go Indonesia? Yeah, Indonesia. Why? I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I don't know what drove me to go to Indonesia, but I did. What, Bali? Yeah, Bali. Well, they make bikinis. Everybody wears bikinis there. So I've never known that. I don't know what it was. Was it like a, some sort of divine inspiration? You're a spiritual I person mean, or I something? Guess, I guess so. I had never been to Bali before. Didn't know the language. I had never known the streets and I just went to Bali. You just woke up and said, I'm going to Bali. Yeah. Hey, mum. I think I was looking online maybe. Yeah. I've seen a few things. I, I know that English is a language that Balinese speak and they do trade with Australia. Yeah. I think it just happened. And so you got there, you f- what, backpack? Yep. You found yourself yeah. a manufacturer, I guess. Yeah, walking the streets for days, roaming the streets, trying to find a good relationship and a connection with somebody. How'd you do that? Conversation. But you just knock on someone's door and say, do you know someone will manufacture Constantly, constantly. Like I had what I wanted in my head. I had pictures and drawings and I went constantly talking to people, seeing if how what their quantities could be and how much they could produce for me and what their materials were like. Were they English speaking? Did they have any current, you know, swimwear brands that they had done before? And you found one? Found one. Yeah. So you... So who designed it? Like, uh, like me. You sat down and designed the bikini. I knew what in was my bikini? head what I wanted. Are we talking about a bikini here or a one piece or what are we talking no, about? No, it was a bikini. It was a two-piece bikini. Only fem- only women swimwear? Yeah. Yeah, okay. At this stage. Yeah. At this stage. Okay, you've got plans. So, and I, I'm intrigued. <laughs> How did you finance all this stuff? I had savings. I had a little bit of savings. And like I said, I didn't jump into it to change my life. I didn't want to make all of this money. It wasn't about the money. It was about making a difference. It was about doing something and just seeing if I could have a little bit of longevity in what I was doing and if people liked it. So it wasn't about that. I had a little bit of savings. I did that and I dabbled in it and then it sold out and I thought, oh, hey, I've made some money. Let's do it again. So you you went small. So you basically Hmm. said, look, why don't I produce this Frankie bikini? Um, You know, I might produce a thousand. Is that what you did or... 
I think it was about that, no more than 2000 Okay, a couple of thousand of these. Um, I'll make them for X amount of dollars and I'll sell them for that plus a margin. Yeah. Yeah. Going to get them made in barley. Did you get them actually made in barley? Yeah. Yeah, get them made in barley, get them transported to Sydney and then how did you market them? Instagram. That was the only thing that I knew at the time. Right. So I didn't, tell me what you did. I think I just rode the Instagram wave. I Googled what hashtags were. I set an open profile and I was just posting and regramming and all of that fun stuff that I had no idea what, what it was. And then I started seeing customers regramming and uploading and hashtagging and it just went from there. Right. So did you find yourself a model to put them like what, what I mean yeah, in terms me. of picking, okay. So in terms of picking the photographs, you picked yourself. Mm. So you jumped into the swimwear mm. and you said, look at this great discovery. $49 yeah. or something. Yeah, that's it. Is that what you photos did? Photos of the product, photos of the product. Yeah, photos on me. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's all I did. did. You were in exotic places or were you, where were no, you? No, I was in like my kitchen at some, in some of them on a white wall. Yeah, I guess what, so what you use, your, your mobile phone to take the photo? That's right, an iPhone. Okay, so cheap, 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 cheap. Very. You don't have to be, you don't have glamorous. to spend a whole lot of money, yeah, correct, you don't have to be glamorous, which mm. is the whole effect of Instagram. And how often did you Instagram? Maybe once or twice a day, but it was, it was not something that I was conscious of doing. It was not something that I was Instagramming because I needed to make money. I was Instagramming to show everyone, hi, this is new. I'm going to uni now. Let's come back to my phone after I've done my exam and see if I've got any likes or made a sale. It was not something that I had pursued like that. In your bio in the Instagram account, what did you say? I don't remember. What did you say? Hi, then. I'm... I think it just said something student. like... No, Frankie Swimwear, proudly Australian, available online. Did it you wasn't too. did you did you put something up on on up on Google to, for search and stuff like that? No. Did you do any plenty of games around search? No, I fixed my website. I learned how to read code so I could do my own website, and then I just spent hours fixing that and doing the Instagram, and that was it. So you you sold a cup first couple of thousand. Um, obviously, you sold all your stock out. So yeah. that's that's quite a few people to follow you on Instagram. Um, how long did that take? Today we've got two hundred and eleven thousand, so that's taken followers. Probably. Yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And um, but the first couple of thousand you sold out. How long did it take you from the date oh. of your you ordering it to people, you know, sort of selling you out or buying you out? Oh, a few months. A few months. Yeah. And did it give you a little bit of an income, or did you get a reasonable income out of it? Yeah, it did. It was nice. It gave a little bit. So that's did, what. It, yeah. And at what stage did you say to yourself, "I'm not going to uni anymore"? Like, had you already decided that, or? Hadn't decided it. It was just a. Th- it was sort of lingering there. But hey, do you jump the ship? Do you do? Do you follow this? It's not. It's not something that is. I don't know. It's. It's not guaranteed. So do you leave uni in a guaranteed degree and a, and a job in you know psychology, something that you've been working towards to follow something that is not even proven? E-commerce wasn't even a word then. Yeah, correct. So you. Okay, I'm just uh, – uh, you're, so, you're so laconic in your pr- approach and style. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like it makes me think to myself, there's something more here. She's not telling me. She's sort of throwing it out there. <laughs> what do you Trying know? to act really relaxed, you know, like uh, – she's so got some. Relaxed. She's got some genius boyfriend sitting behind no, her. No, no one. I t- didn't have any expectations for this, so I haven't been disappointed. I've never expected to be buying, like – cars and houses and this and that like it's not what I set out to do I just take it and everyone likes it and we do what we do and we're all happy because it's nice and simple so okay so what by the way what time of year was this when you did this was it spring summer 
I started um, middle of the year, so whatever season that is in Melbourne, I don't know. It changes like now? time here. Yeah. Like June? Yeah. Like winter? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you, you're able to sell 2,000 pieces of swimwear in the middle of winter. Yeah. Pretty cool. And then, okay, what happened to the next order? What did you say? Okay, I'm going to order 50,000. How did you go about the so mathematics? I didn't go up to 50,000. Mathematics, I doubled a little bit. Like, I was still scared at that stage. I dabbled in a few markets, you know, creative markets and getting out amongst the people. Um, but I realized very quickly that it is uh, online is where you want to be because you have an untouched market around the world 24-7. So how did you keep this online market cranking? I mean, how, I mean, it was it just Instagram? How, how did you just yeah. because yeah, I mean, you go from two thousand to four thousand to eight thousand. Yeah. Now you're at two hundred odd thousand. Yeah. How did you keep doing that? Just Instagram, engaging with lots of customers, making sure I answer every single question on Instagram. Every single question that a customer had written on every single photo that you see will be answered. Every single incoming email, um, really engaging with the models when I started to use models, um, and just keeping just staying on top of everything. And so, okay, so it got to a point, I'm trying to get that, in, where, work out where the inflection point was, because mm. obviously you don't do, if you've got 200,000 people on your Instagram account and let's say, you know, 50,000 at any one time like it and mm. you know, 20,000 ask a question, you're mm. not going to answer every question today, these mm. days, you probably did then. So what have you had to build up in terms of back office now? Say, just fast forward to where you are now. Yeah, staff, a lot of staff online. Yeah. On the emails, on the phone, all the time. Still try to answer every question? We still do, yeah. You still do? And, and how many models would you engage or you just get them in whenever you need them for a promo? I like to sh- I like to keep it current. So we shoot all the time. I'm just off the back end of doing three different photo shoots. We've engaged with three girls in the US and we've done two here in Australia in the last four weeks. So it's always happening. So can I ask you, have you gone, have you migrated your... How you st- from where you started to today having like, you know, glamour and all that sort of stuff? Or are you still trying to make it look like as representative of everybody? I mean, is it like you, your beautiful skinny model type thing or mm. how is it? Is it aspirational or, or is it real? It's, I don't know, it's both. It's, it's sort of you go onto the page and you see the bikinis and you see the girls and it's a dream. Like you're selling a holiday in a warm place and a beautiful body all the time and that's never going to change because I want everyone to feel great when they're wearing the bikinis and you're looking at the photos and you're feeling great and that's what it is. Okay, so okay, what, what are your aspirations from here, Rebecca? So where are we going? We're going to Paris next week to take over Europe actually. So we've got trade shows in Europe. I've done, did USA last year. And um, Europe is untouched. explain it because in a lot of people, there's a lot of people who'll be listening to this who think they've got a great idea for fashion and or retail and fashion, mm. not just manufacturing but retail and fashion, and they don't know how to distribute. Because I mean, the, the 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 main parts of having a successful business after you've been, worked out how to do it cheaper, and after you've worked how to how to make it accessible, and after you've made worked out how the product can be equal to whatever else is out there in the marketplace, you need to have um, marketing campaigns and or awareness campaigns. So explain to people how these trade shows work and how do you find them? Um, We've been approached, so I get approached for this. This is not something that I, like we have options now. At the start, I was never approached to do trade shows. So I'm just lucky enough that people are coming to me and offering me places in these trade shows. Um, It's very important to get out there though and, and keep your brand alive um, but moving forward, aspirations definitely 
seeding into Europe and seeding into like hotel chains and that would be great. Why hotel chains? I don't understand. Hotel chains, you know when you go on hotel, you go on holidays and you're in the gift store? Yeah, yeah. That type of thing is where I want to be. Selling your stuff. Yeah. Hotel chains sell other people's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And do you you play the Australian card? What do you mean? Well, in your brand. Is the Frankie Swimwear, do you play the Australian card if you're in Paris? Like this is an Australian brand? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the land of milk and honey and nice warm weather and beautiful beaches. Yeah, definitely. And we know bikinis. Yeah, that's right. There's a big difference, though, in the market. You can tell an Australian designer. And we're very well received overseas, yeah. Well, Tiger Lily did very well in that regard. Um, Are there any problems you're encountering? or I mean, No. Nothing? No problems. So when you hit Paris? (laughs) When do I hit Paris? The 25th, 26th and 27th. Of this month, of June. It sounds like a dream run. So where were the problems? Sleepless nights? I mean, there's. I don't know. I've never had business, which was never – there was always something interrupting my dream run. There's something, but it's never so big because I'm still like – I don't – my expectations are not so large that I can't – you know, that it's going to upset me. Well, taking over Paris is pretty large, so – Yeah, but it's going to be all right. My biggest problems are dealing with staff, to be honest. Okay, tell me about that. Tell me, tell me about that. I mean, everyone has the same issue, but tell me about that. Oh, it's just the personalities and having to manage these people and I'm responsible for feeding all of these people and trying to keep them inspired and keep them, you know, calm and everything. It's something that I never experienced. I never thought I would have to experience. So what do you, having studied psychology, I guess that will help. Um, <laughs> Does it though? <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, I guess every, every entrepreneur has to be a psychologist in some respect. Oh, it's crazy. So what do you do? I mean, get, tell me that, I mean, people listening. So what are the sort of things you encounter? And how do you go about um, making sure staff are continue to be inspired? And as you say, there's always personality clashes between people. You've got to jump in and be Solomon and uh, try and yeah. resolve the issues. I mean, yeah. how do you do this? I, I'm very to the point. I'm very blunt with them. Um, and I like to just say it how it is. If something's not working or if it's not how it should be, I, I definitely get in there and say it. But personally, I take on a lot of stuff personally and it's hard for me to sort of separate myself from that as well or not think about that after hours and dealing with these people. And I I don't know, it's like a little family that I have to look after. Uh, is it mostly female or male? What's yeah, the mix? it's all female. Uh, what about diversity here, Rebecca? What about I've wanted to hire a male. I've interviewed males a lot, yeah. but yeah. So, like, so I mean, is it? I mean, I, I, I don't know how I would go having a mostly female staff, mm. but you being female, I guess you've got a better understanding of that sort of environment. Mm. Um, but is it the same issues tend to creep up all the time between the individuals? Is it competitive? Is it in a female environment, or mostly, is it a competitive environment like it is in a men's environment? No, it's not competitive. They're more so moody. They have to yeah. control, like, stabilise moods and they come in and one day they'll be happy and one day they'll be depressed and one day there's a problem with the boyfriend and, like, I just can't. And do they, they generally speaking, do you tend to employ people around your age or older or younger? How do you go about that? Yeah, yeah. I've had, I've had younger staff but there's a big, you know, there's a generation gap or there's something there that is missing. So I do like to hire older, older staff or more close to my age staff. Older, 28. Um, close to my age. Close, yeah, exactly. exactly. But I mean, what you tend to find is that there's less less variation in their mood. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. they're uh, as they mature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's maybe you get less energy out of them too. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe more life experience or something. They've had a few breakups. They've had some car accidents. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So that's a sort of a maturity level. So mm. staffing. By the way, staffing is the biggest issue in everyone's business. 
as far as oh. I'm concerned. And particularly if you're growing the business and trying to get the right combinations of people. It's not about finding the person with the right skill. It's about finding the person with the right skill who actually fits into the jigsaw puzzle yeah. with someone else with a different skill who's doing a different part of the business. Where do, they, where do you get them from? Well, it's, it's you... trial and error and you're continually trying to upskill and uh, sometimes you're better off having somebody who's not as skilled because sometimes the really skilled people have the, the most difficult personalities. Mm. Um, my, that's, that's my experience anyway. Um, and uh, or sometimes what you got to do is you got to actually alienate the really super super intelligent, really really skilled person, put them in the corner, and just let them do their thing and keep them away from everybody else. Really? Yeah, I do that. I, I definitely do that. I mean, I I have to overlook the uh, the kumbaya environment where everybody's all yeah. happy and sitting around singing songs. So uh, this is a uh, quite an unusual story because most people, you know, like who, who do these sorts of things like you're doing, just go off and start a new business. Stress heads um, and mm. uh, totally suffer from anxiety and every other thing, and mm. they're always out there chasing chasing rainbows and want to be global takeovers and all that sort of stuff. And you just seem to be cruising through and doing okay out of all this. Are you making a living out of it? Yeah, a, a good living, yeah. so to speak. I'm living. You're living. Yeah. Re- but relatively speaking, is this the sort of thing you thought you would be able to do in terms of so, so the sort of money you're earning at is it giving you a lifestyle that you thought you would get and that you want to have you know like I'm not necessarily talking about Ferraris and stuff like that you're only 28 but giving a good lifestyle where you're comfortable and relaxed yes yes it's more than I thought it would be yeah yeah that's so good okay <laughs> I give everybody an opportunity to ask me one question um, when they um, give me their time which you've done thankfully mm-hmm. um, what one question would you like to ask me do you have any advice for conflict? In, inside a business? In, inside, yeah. When I was younger, um, my advice for conflict was basically telling them all fuck off. Um, so I wouldn't put up with any shit. Mm. Um, and I don't know, today I can't do that. And I don't know whether it's because times have changed and you can't get away with that type of thing mm. um, or whether or not... Uh, just I've matured myself and I don't feel that's the right way to go about things. I, where I have conflict, I always get the two parties, or whoever the parties are in conflict, I get them in the room at the same time with me. Mm. And I actually sit across a desk from them on purpose to, mm. to build that, that sort of divide between me and them so they know that I'm not involved in the conflict mm. in, a, in that sense. And I put them next to each other on the other side of the desk. And I basically get them to t- lay it out on the table they're both the cases and I and if I I get to a point where I do have to make a judgment I will make a judgment and I'll make one one will have to leave okay depending on the conflict but one will have to leave I'll give them every opportunity to um, make it up and to work with it but often what I find is that um, they say they will when they're in that meeting with me and they say they'll fix it but they go away and nothing changes. Yeah, and they they get and if it, I'm talking about where it's a grubby conflict, okay. if it's a principal conflict, and one where um, you know there are there's no grubbiness and it's like uh, not personal, where it's a business conflict, mm-hmm. I tend to alienate them, isolate them, and go off and do their own thing individually and just see which one rises to the top. In yeah. other words, let them compete. But if it's a grubby personal conflict, mm-hmm. one has to go. Okay. I never because it, what it does it drags everyone down, yeah, the whole business, yeah. including me. It does. Energy is contagious. Bad energy, particularly. It's mm. worse than good energy, I think. Can I ask something else? Yeah. 
you are a type A personality, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're the psychologist, but tell me. Yeah, okay. Um, how do you find having type A's in your team as well versus type B? Um, I prefer to have type A. I, I prefer to have people who are strong-willed, back themselves, mm. because I don't want to be self-direct. I don't want to be directing. I want people self-direct. I, 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 there is not enough time in my business in particular to be mm. micromanaging the business all the time. Um, okay. As a size question, at what point? At what point of your size do you decide decide that you do this? When you're small enough, you can micromanage, but after a period of time, you have to have self-directed people. Self-directed yeah. people are confident and not only know their job, but are confident can lead a little team. So you need lots of little teams being led yeah. by individuals who then just come in and report to me and just tell me what they've done. So I give them a lot of rope. Mm. Um, and I tell them in the beginning, right at the beginning of the year, the, say the calendar year when our year starts, I say to them, okay, you're not going to really hear from me other than you're telling – you're I'm going to hear from you. You're not going to hear from me. You're going to give me updates, tell me you're up to. If you've got a question, come and talk to me. But if you ha- if you hear from me, there's a problem. Yeah. And so basically I'm saying to them, it's run your little part of the business, your micro microcosm of the, the business. This is yours. Yeah. Run that. Mm. So type A or strong-willed. People who back themselves, confident style people, um, I think are very important in business. And uh, I'd rather have the best in their job um, out there as opposed to me trying to be in charge as the best because that puts too much pressure on me. And I, and I, by the way, I get lots of things wrong. Mm. So how do you deal with it? Deal with having type A's. Mm. You know, it's it's funny because type A is great. Like they can manage themselves and it's great and they come to me and it's just a yes or no answer and I don't have to micromanage everyone. But in the same, at the same time, it's sort of if you're dealing with a bigger personality than you, then I feel, I don't know, I feel like it's it's a, a sort of a threat in a way. But I maybe I just haven't met the right type A's. I don't have the right type A's in my team. Well, it, but maybe if you just change the way you feel, they're not mm. a threat, then it doesn't matter. Because you're the you own it, it's your yeah. business, and yeah. you have the ultimate club. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, they know it too. By the way, the only problem you know the only problem you you might encounter in these environments, and this is a real business risk, is that someone thinks they can do what you do, mm. and that they, that all of a sudden they run off and take your IP, your intellectual property, and run run what you're doing in competition to you after they've learned it all. Mm. that's the only commercial risk you run. Otherwise, yeah. you don't run a risk. And my view, just having met you now and talk, spoken to you, I reckon that's pretty unlikely. Yeah. So back yourself. Yeah. Thanks. Up next on The Mentor, I'll have a chat with the two founders of a car parking app. You want to rent your driveway or carport during the day? They've got the answer. Stay tuned. Okay, Jack Perkins and Alex Peck are revolutionising the way we can crowdsource car parking through their app called Parallel Parking. The boys are with me now. Welcome to The Mentor. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Okay, how did this idea come about? I love these sort of ideas. Um, It's sort of like Uber for car parks, Um, you know, making sure that uh, everything gets used and to its capacity. Yeah, that's That's a mathematics exercise, but... How did it all happen? Yeah, so I guess the idea really stemmed from us having our own issues. Um, Alex and I kind of got to a point 
where that we were, uh, you know, driving to work, driving to university where we couldn't find a car spot. University? University. Um, and then as we kind of progressed out university, then again work. Um, and the more we you know, we drove these places, we realized that there wasn't a lot of car spaces around. Uh, and one day I was kind of driving down the road towards university and I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to park in one of these driveways? And I gave Alex a call uh, and we thought about the idea a bit further. And were you both student of- mates? Uh, no, we went, to, we went to school together yeah. initially. Um, different unis, but we've known each other since we were about 10 playing rugby. Yeah. Okay, let's just get, okay, just stop there for a second. How old are you now? 24. 24 each. Okay. Uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, Marist Eastwood. Okay. Both both Marist Eastwood. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Then you both went to university? Yep. yep. Where, which uni did you go to? So I went to the Australian Catholic University in North Sydney. That's Jack. Yep. Uh, and Alex? Went yep. to Macquarie Uni. Okay. And what did you guys study? I studied a uh, double degree of economics and applied finance. And what did you do, Jack? I did commerce and marketing. So both the same sort of stuff. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. So what inspired you at uni- What Do you think there's something that a university student gets as an inspiration beyond other people? Because my last guest got inspired while she was at university, the same deal. Um, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if it was something at university that uh, was the inspiration for us to get into it. I think it's very much the product of the time that we were uh, going through university and looking for jobs though. Um, so I think the entrepreneurial roots become really viable for people our age early on. Um, both Jack and I went into corporate careers straight out of uni. So you're only 24, mm-hmm. or yep. 22, 21. Yep. So um, where'd you go? So I worked at Deloitte as a management consultant. Yeah. Um, uh, that I worked for a pharmaceutical firm. As like a product manager. Right, okay. So, and you, I guess you come to university with a degree. I mean, I got three sons that did exactly the same thing. Um, and it's hard to get a job yep. that you yeah. feel like you, you, <laughs> yeah. you deserve because you owe 70 odd thousand or yeah. 60 grand. And uh, you think, what the fuck? How am yep. I going to get this paid off and get rid of my debt and get ahead? That's yep. it. Yeah. So it was more, you know, how am I going to get myself started in life? Yeah. And, and I think we saw the opportunity that, you know, a lot of other people were doing it. Um, you know, it's a fascinating time. Who was doing it? Um, I mean, just you, you look at the rise of people like the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the world. Okay, not um, people you know, but no, not necessarily other people ideas. You know. Yeah, yeah, other people out and having a lot of success with it. Um, and we thought, look, we've got no mortgage, no kids, no real financial dependence, anything like that. There's no real better time to go and take a big risk like this. And but did you, but did you pull apart why Uber is successful, or did you actually understand the concepts? Like, did you well, obviously understood the concepts? Yeah, yeah. Did you actually course. sit down and deconstruct it and sort of say, well, why don't we use that deconstruction for this opportunity? Well, I, I think we identified pretty early on that uh, the concept Jack had initially come up with in utilizing other people's um, assets for parking. In in our case was essentially just the same model as Airbnb. So that really gave us a good case study for looking at how they got things started and where they've had successes and failures. But a lot of it for us is, you know, it's just been throwing ourselves in the deep end. And, you know, you have an idea of what where the direction you want to go in is and there's a lot of mistakes you make along the way and it's just about learning from those, I think. I, I want to stop you there, sure. um, Alex. I'm actually got a little bit sick and tired of... Um, the marketplace people out there thinking that, oh, I'm going to invent an app. It's not about an app. No, yeah, absolutely. Mean, fuck all. I mean, an app is a way of getting to a marketplace so people can access it on their mobile phone. It's exactly just right. yep. it's just how they can get there. Um, yep. There's a bit of technology in it, no doubt, um, and, but most people can build the, the technological part of an app. There's very few people can't in terms of skill bases. What sits behind the app? So tell me now about your business. So 
you know, we've taken the spare capacity of people's garages or carports or whatever it is. Yep. And we we put it out there to the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely right. And as you say, the app is the way that we deliver that marketplace place to people. So on one side of the marketplace, you have residents. So people have a, a driveway, a garage, a carport, a parking space. So somewhere sort. in Bondi, for example, where Bondi's it's totally per- impossible to park. That's it. Bondi is a perfect example. Um, they make their space available and then drivers can, through the app, book the car space. So... Um, as I say, Bondi Beach on a sunny summer Saturday. Half hour parking, maximum. Yep. You're always there mm-hmm. putting a dollar or two dollars in there every yep. half an hour, and if yep. you don't, you get booked. That's it. So drivers can go on. They've got you know uh, dozens of spaces they could pick from. They can look at you know the type of space it is, how much it is, when it's available, um, and then they can go on and request it. Um, the owner approves it, um, or they can set it to auto approval. Uh, we collect the money. We pay out the money to um, the homeowner. Uh, we take a clip from the driver. Um, then that sort of facilitates if they need to exchange a key or something like that, they can interact through the app to exchange it. Most of the time it's a driveway. They can drive straight in. They leave at the end of the booking. Mm. Okay, so how, how do you set the price? I mean, who sets the price? Let's say I've got a house in Bondi with a driveway near the beach Yep. and I'm thinking well, I want to make a few extra dollars. I don't use the driveway. I'm on holidays all the time. Mm-hmm. Do I just set the price? Do I say I want 50 bucks an hour or $50 a week or how does it work? Yeah. So, and this is an issue we sort of came across quite early is that uh, your regular residents not going to have any idea what their driveway is worth, that they're not used to, to leasing it out. Um, so we actually went away and we said, well, we need to, we need to be able to tell them what it's worth or at least suggest to them what it's worth. Um, so what we did is we did a, an analysis of the parking demand across Australia Um, so we've basically made a model that proxies the demand in every area across Australia. And then we have a recommended price based on that. So based on the, the intensity of demand there. So when someone lists their space, they put in their address, then we produce for them our recommended hourly, daily, weekly, monthly prices. It's it's an automatic algorithm. Mm, The algorithm spits it out. Yeah. Yep. And then they can check, they can change if they want. And, you know, we even see based on our recommendations, sometimes people will, try and undercut the market. Um, so you'll see them put a dollar or two less per hour or sometimes people will say, hey, I'm getting heaps of bookings and they'll increase the price mm. and see if they still get bookings. And you'll see with them playing around with it after a while, but normally people just take the rest what Airbnb does too. <clears throat> yeah. 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 So, so go, on, go on, Jack. We had a lady in Kensington that originally set the price at $10 a day and she was around the university there at, at, at UNSW and she was getting, you know, lots of bookings every week. Every day. And you saw that price just slowly creep up and it ended up, I think it was at $25, $30 a day. About 20 yeah. And she was continue, continuously getting bookings. So <laughs> yeah, you can really see people playing with it. So they, they get quite So they look, they're looking for the uh, optimal. That's yeah. They're, they're, that's I mean, yeah. they're pretty smart people. I mean, they, they, are, they yeah, work yeah. that out, stuff yeah. out real and fast. And if they go too far, the droppings yeah, drop yeah. off a little bit. But well, that's a quite a good mechanism for them to tell them anyway. It's yeah. Like it's a marketplace. That's what marketplaces that's do. Exactly. I mean, yeah. just like share share market. You know, like the you you can put in your bid, whatever the offer yep. is, is might be different. That's it. The bid offer. So you're running a bid offer system. Yeah, correct. On, on your on your app. So it your app is as you said is the 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 access point, but the technology that sits behind it, so for example, the bid offer or the the, the market pricing, mm-hmm. who writes this stuff? I mean, who's doing this stuff for you? So That's pretty complex stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so our CTO, Peter Carey, has built the app from the ground up. Um, he's an absolute gun. Mm. Yeah. 
What is he, and what is he background? <laughs> was he a math math guy or a, 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 a computer scientist? Computer scientist. Yeah, computer yeah. scientist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so think it's it's helped us a lot having it in house because we originally absolutely. did. We originally did outsource the app um, prior to bringing Peter on board. We had a lot of problems based on, you know, time frame. Cost. 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 Budget, you know. Scope. Yeah, scope. You know, it was all all right. I 100% agree. Again, for people listening, if you can afford it, in fact, ultimately you will be able to afford it better if you bring these people in-house, if you've got the right person. Couldn't agree more. Because you get scope creep. Yeah. Um, You know, know, you're you're out of your control. They're not talking to you. Yep. You end up getting something you didn't really want. Yeah, you still yep. got to pay a lot of money for it. Then you got to fix it, and yep. blah blah. It just goes yeah, on and on. That's it's, absolutely it's the experience we had. Um, so we we realised uh, it was an absolute imperative to bring it in house. Um, we were lucky to to come across Peter. He'd just come over to Australia from England. Um, so this has been his first job out of uni now, um, and yeah, it's great. We we were as you were saying before, you know you have to really get along with your partner and we very much wanted to see the person we brought on as our technology partner, um, as a, you know, the third mm. partner of the business. Um, but it's lucky that we have a really good relationship with Peter. We get along with him very well. Um, and he just has that skill set that complements both Jack and I's. Right. So, so now you've got the, you've, you've got, you've got your, um, your technique, your technology back office, which is what Peter's running for you or yep. builds for you. And I guess it's been continual updated to work out bugs and also to make it enhance and make it better and yep. get a get better experience for your users. You've identified that there is a parking problem out there and it's only probably going to get worse as we get more density in our cities and mm-hmm. various places in the world uh, of our country. Um, um, the businesses and you're taking a clip, so it's a big volume business, small fee, I mm-hmm. guess. You're, yep. What do you That's take, it. a percentage? Are you allowed to disclose yeah. that? Or? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we have a 10% fee. Both um, sides? No, it comes from the driver side. Driver so side. The, the, yeah, the person. Yeah, okay. The homeowners set the price they want yep. and we charge an extra. You charge, right, charge it. And, yeah. uh, and I presume it's all it's all um, credit card based. So, yep. you know, I'm a, it's a bit like me if I want to go and rent one of those cars that sit on the side of the road. Go get. You yep. go get. That's yep. it. That's one of them. Um, I didn't want to give him a free Many. plug until they Sorry. come in. That's okay. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's not the ABC, so we'll give him a free plug. Go get it. Um, so, but but uh, you, you, it all works off the back of their credit card. Um, what about insurances, liabilities? Yep. So normally the, the case is that um, it's just sort of in a driveway. Um, it's basically like having a friend over. Um, there's very little risk involved with it as it is. Um Going when car gets stolen, what garage. happens? Um, car gets stolen, it's on your my car insurance. insurance. My insurance. Yeah, yeah. Your, your, your insurance. Um, I get out of my car and I, there's a big hole in the concrete and fall over and break my leg. Yeah, you'd be looking at um, the home and contents insurance for your- Third party insurance, yeah. 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 For, for, the, for the public liability insurance, I public should say. For the, for, do you actually say to the homeowner, have you got public liability insurance? Um, it's part of our terms and conditions and right. things like that. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at opportunities, um, with one of the insurers for a, an actual specialized product that they're looking at for the peer to peer economy. Yep. Um, so that's what we're looking at implementing it as well in the future. Right. Okay. Um, so how do you tell people about this? 
What's your marketing plan, Jack? What are you doing? Yeah, so for us, we're quite social media based. Um, you know, it's been quite fruitful for us. Um, one, it's easy to get in front of drivers, and you know, the targeting that Facebook can offer these days is is quite extraordinary, and we can get in front of them at quite a, a low price, which is good. Um, in combination with you know leaflet drops, etc. Generally, what we do for a specific area is that if we were to focus on say Bondi Beach, we spend a few weeks focusing on homeowners, so building our supply through Facebook bit of PR, bit of newsletters, et cetera. Then from that, we move to the drivers within a few weeks afterwards and we try and build the two together um, because, you know, without the without the, the homeowners, the drivers find obviously hard to book spaces and yeah. without the drivers, the homeowners see no value in it. So, so you've got to bridge the supply and demand. Exactly. So you've got to build supply and build demand. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's but it's just sort of, it's not a simple thing. I don't want to undermine it, but you... It's nearly like you could do, go and nearly go into a letterbox drop in every single person who lives in Bondi. If I mean, in real basic terms, mm. if you wanted to, and in every single car that parks down on the beach, we're paying yep. twenty bucks. So you can go and put something on their windscreen. Mm-hmm. In a real basic sense, yep. I mean, there are more sophisticated ways using yep. digital to get to these people, yep. but mm. in a very simple sense, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. You so could spend a Sunday, two Sundays doing it. Yep, yep, absolutely. And people yeah. go, oh, wow, I just paid 50 bucks to park yeah. here for the day, and I could have parked for $10 around the corner. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it yeah. works. You know, it's simple, but it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's effective. And so where to from here, boys? So what happens? So I think for us, we've been focusing heavily on Sydney at the moment. Uh, obviously, it's the market we know the best. Um, and we've been focusing on specific, focusing on specific areas. So we look at universities, around hospitals, train stations, the beaches. Um, and we've learned a lot running that for sort of the last 12 months, running various campaigns. Um, we now want to just expand, uh, to different geographies. So Melbourne and Brisbane have the same parking problems we do. They've got the same markets there for us. Um, so for us, it's all about picking up what we've learned mm. in Sydney and dropping that into Melbourne and Brisbane. So how do you do that? How are you going to expand? How are you going to grow? Yeah, absolutely. I so, mean, I, I understand how the how you market, how you get to the market. I understand, but what is it that's necessary to get there? Yeah, What's so the ingredient missing. Yeah, I, I think the big one is uh, it's a, it's a marketing play, and that takes money. Yeah, capital. Um, yeah, it's capital. So we're doing we we raised money last year. We're doing another funding round at the moment. Um, a big component of that is on marketing spend. Um, so allowing us to run multiple concurrent campaigns in multiple geographies. Um, get out there in bigger, better ways on more channels. Um, and really that, that will allow us to then enter the Melbourne and Brisbane market because we sort of understand what the, the problems mm. are. We've learned a lot about how to market effectively to these people. It's really just having the capital behind competitors. you to execute it. Yep. So we have a number of competitors. Um, we all do things slightly differently. Some are a lot smaller. Some are a bit bigger than us. Um there's some focus, particularly in Melbourne, which which will make it more difficult for us to get in there. Um, I think the big thing for us is we know exactly where we're targeting. Um, we tend to avoid CBD areas because there's a lot of barriers to entry in terms of getting into secured car parks and things like that in the CBD. Um, we focus on you know things like beaches, universities, hospitals. Um, we have a very particular brand message that we take. And what is that? Um, I think you know we're young. Um, innovative 24 year olds um, a lot of people especially university students um, I think relate a lot to our brand um, we're quite light-hearted and our tone is always quite 
lighthearted. I yeah, think. we've also got a bit of emphasis on kind of short-term parking as well, where a lot of our competitors generally focus on kind of that long-term parking. Garage for the week. You know, yeah. garage for the week months where, you know, we're looking at Bondi universities where people are looking for short-term cheap parking. You know what I mean? So that's where we're really kind of coming to the market as, as kind of a unique proposition, which yeah. is it's pretty that's strong. It. And yeah. then we've also, we've invested heavily in the actual experience people have on the marketplace. So when you get into the app, from the moment you open it to the moment you're making booking, um, we've really worked hard and invested heavily in, in what that experience is like because one of the big things we noticed, um, especially when we had the initial version of the app that the agency had built, was you can spend all the money in the world getting people to the app with marketing. Um, but if the app's qualities and what people expect, which mm-hmm. nowadays is very high expectation, then you're just going to churn them away um, instantly. And that, I give up after. Yeah. If they have to fill out too many things. That's it. I mean, that, it's like, like me going on Jetstar. I cannot stand going on a Jetstar's <laughs> website to book a flight. Yep. It is a pain. It's really it's hard process. to navigate. It's really Absolutely. difficult. Yeah. I, I mean, it's something I can't believe like, they're a big organization. You yeah. would think... You can't go straight away and go to Virgin. Absolutely. Correct. I just yeah. go, it's, it's easier. Yeah. Well, in my case, I can, I'm can. i in this club of Virgin. I can ring them up and they just yeah. do it for me over the phone. Yeah. But, but Jets, I don't have that. Uh, have that yeah, right. service. That, that, the service. So they make you go to the website because they're trying to keep their cost down. Of course. Their costs aren't any less than Virgin anyway, but they're, mm. they're, they're allegedly trying to keep the cost down. But I find it very clumsy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's something we tried to avoid. And so, as I say, we invested heavily in that. And I think that's one of the, the, the big advantages we have is we've we've really put the hard yards in with the experience of the app. Okay. So, mm-hmm. I always give everybody an opportunity to ask me one question. I, I love your idea. I, I, I love the use of spare capacity. Yeah. There's so much spare absolutely. capacity in the world. Yeah. I mean, a good one is a, a, a good example of the, where this becomes important. You know, in a global sense, is like food wastage. The spare capacity in, of the amount of food that's wasted in this world is Absolutely. kills me. Um, food wastage, spare capacity in any in any area in any asset class, parking, mm-hmm. um, bedrooms, yep. your car, going yep. to work, etc., um, is a great way to go. And it's a it's a new it's a new form. It's mm-hmm. sort of a relatively speaking new form, but it's an old concept. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, I'll, and yeah. Uh, so I think it's brilliant. I love it. I really love it. And I haven't looked at your app, but I'm sure your app runs smoothly. But and as you say, the concept is good enough. It's not good enough. The whereas a, a necessary ingredient, but it's not a sufficient ingredient for success. The sufficient ingredient mm. for success is a smooth app yeah. that helps you helps you sort of get enamoured yeah. by the by the site and by the idea mm. and say, this is really easy. So I'm assuming that's, that's good. So what is the one question you want to ask me from here? You first. Um, look, for me, we're currently going through a funding round at the moment, talking to a lot of different investors. Um, as an investor yourself, mm-hmm. invest in other businesses, what are kind of the top three things you're looking for in a business these days? Uh, I'd probably have a top 10, but um, <laughs> uh, the top three, uh, well, the, the, the first first thing, first and foremost is I, I'm looking for two guys, two girls or guy, whatever the combination is. I want, I don't want one person. I want a combination of people. Mm-hmm. So you've got that part, right? But also if I'm going to put my money in, I want to know there's not going to be a blow up that everybody, because mm. you know, what happens is your 24 year old guys say, oh, fuck you, I'm out of here. And the next thing I'm left there you know, with my <laughs> yep. dick in my hand, you know, like yep. uh, I just put in money and yep. your yeah. guys are gone and you're not accountable because you know, yep. young blokes, you yep. see you later. So I want to see stability, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like in, within the two people or, yep. or, the, or the three or four, whatever it is. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is I love, I love marketplaces, which is what you're creating and the supply and demand sides. And I can see there's, this is a rising tide. I do not invest in any, any business that's not involved in a rising tide. Mm. It's very hard to make money in a business which is not in a rising tide. 
Mm. Yeah. It's very easy to make money in a business which isn't a rising tide as long as you execute properly. Yeah. So you are definitely in a rising tide mm. um, because the rising tide has been caused by a population increase. So when you're pitching to people, you've got to show how this demand for parking is growing and growing and growing mm. and mm. is going to continue to grow and not necessarily hockey stick, but it's just going to continue to grow. So there is this rising tide, very important. And finally, it's all of it comes down to execution. I do not expect the individuals, the two proprietors, to be necessarily the skilled technicians in the execution piece. But I do expect, and I, I do always look for a team mm-hmm. that can do it. Yep. And competition, I ask you about competition. Competition is important to me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't expect someone to be the only competitor. I actually quite like the fact that there are more than one person in the, yep. there. There is a, a group, there's a segment yep. because you're all promoting each other. When I had the wizard business, it was easier for me to succeed in the wizard business because there was Aussie and Rams at the same mm-hmm. time. We built a market segment a segment that people spoke about. People yep. interested in. Yeah. yeah. So the non-bank segment, yeah. you know. Um, it's actually harder if you're the only one because they're only talking about one and you're, mm. not, you're not seen as a segment. Yeah. yeah so th- that's, I think that's a really important point. You're in a, you're in a business where there mm. is a segment now and it's working for other people as well. So mm. no one's going to say, oh, you, you guys are pioneers. You're not the only ones. There are other people doing it yep. and it's working. And the, the, probably the fourth one, I know you didn't invite me to give you a fourth one. The fourth one would be this. <laughs> um, is there enough profit margin based on the volume to cover your costs? In other words, is it a cost-heavy business um, relative to the amount of the 10% you take, your clip, Mm. and the clip relative to the amount of volume you can take? Or in other words, market share you can own. So I've got to be convinced that you can own this amount of market share. Yep. um, And you'd have to convince me why, Mm. um, whether it's better this or better that, or combination of the betters. Um, and two is ten percent clip enough, or should it, and if it's not enough, should it be fifteen? And is will the market bear fifteen percent? Will yeah, the drivers yeah, pay you yeah, fifteen percent? And uh, um, and is there enough volume out there? Yeah, absolutely. so you've already proved the demands sense. there. Yep, they're the things yeah, I'm looking definitely. for. So you know, you can present to me all the pro, the, you know, the projections you want and business models, financial models, which you know, mm-hmm. all important. But they're the sort of these underlying assumptions that I need to see. Yep. those four things. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And look, what I'd be interested to to know is you've had a number of entrepreneurial ventures yourself, um, long career. Um, what are some of the big difficulties you've faced that you would want to uh, be able to give your advice to on younger guys, girls getting into it? So, you know, the people you lecture at uni who are thinking about going into this, yeah. some of the difficulties mm-hmm. you face that you could advise Question. them on. I think that compared to when I was first out doing things to today – there is a static or a fixed amount of capital in the marketplace available for these ventures to mm. invest in ventures. Whereas when I was doing it, there was still a fixed amount, a smaller pool as well, but less people wanting it. So what happens today is there's a lot of people around like you looking for investors' money. Mm-hmm. There's like stacks of you. And all good. What I, and what I mean by stacks of you, good propositions, mm. intelligent young people, doesn't matter whether they're young or older, good ideas, good concepts, things that work, all the stuff I said about the four things I said before. So all of a sudden investors have got the have got the upper hand and can pick and choose what they want. As a result of that, um, and, I, and I've been through this too mm. more recently in other ventures, um, if you're the, the thing that I notice about young guys or girls is they're impatient mm. and they usually get discouraged. So if you're – 
really what you've got to do is get your business in a position where it's actually paying your wage. So you're not, your ass is not hanging out of your pants and you think, I can't keep going this because I can't, I can't live mm. anymore. So get the business into a framework which gives you a living and pays the rent and gives you a few nights out a week and whatever else it is you need in your life, but a, a modest one. Um, so, and so that you're not discouraged when you go to the marketplace seeking venture capital and someone doesn't want to invest or decides to invest in something else because the game here is hanging in there. Mm. Yeah, Just absolutely. keep building yeah. it and building it and building it because I can assure you that the other competitors in your marketplace are also trying to raise money. Mm. And it's going to become a game of attrition. If you're the last man standing, one or two, you'll be the one who'll get the money. Mm. Not everyone's going to get the money. Yeah, of course. So, and, and don't necessarily assume that anyone will get the money. And mm. don't necessarily assume that you've got the best idea because we all think we have the best idea. Mine's better than everybody else's and I'm unique because yep. yep. we're offering short-term as opposed to long-term. Mm. They're thinking we're offering long-term instead of short-term. So it's mm. about who can handle this for the longest and who's got the most patience? And young guys, girls, tend not to have the patience. You think, oh, fuck, I, w- I want that car. I want that. Yeah, I've got to get yeah, a house. Yeah. I want to, my girl wants to get married. You're still probably a little young for that environment. Yeah, but yeah. as you creep towards 30, and it could take you five, six years to get there. I know you've already mm-hmm. ra- had done one, one round of racing. That's great. I'm just giving you my view on the way the world is right now. Mm-hmm. Investment dollars. There's money out there to be invested, but it's hard to get. Mm-hmm. You really have to shine and rise above. It nearly has to be, for the investors to invest today, it nearly has to be in a position where if I don't invest, I'm going to miss out. Yep. And that's hard. That's very hard to deliver. That's yeah, that's absolutely. totally sexy, full-on deal that, oh, my God, this is so new. Yep. And there's very few of those around. Yeah, absolutely. So be prepared to hang in there and just keep performing and keep going back to investors and and make money out of it because mm. they don't want to lose money. They don't want you to keep coming back for further rounds. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, get yourself to a position. If Be prepared to get yourself to a position where um, you only need one more round. Mm. Yep. That's, I think that is the most important thing today for a young person based on my experience. Mm. And it's, it's just the way the market is. And you're going to get knockbacks. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And when you get knockbacks, the thing that will keep you on, will stop you from getting up again, is if you think, I'm not making any money out of this. And I'm, I deserve Need better. that base first. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and also, you know, I'm worth more than this. You know, I'm, you know, my mate down the road, he's doing it. And he's, look how much money he's working at. Uh, he's working in London because he got the job at Deloitte's and he stayed at Deloitte's and now they put him into London office. He's earning UK pounds. Mm-hmm. He's living this fantastic life and he's earning 300,000 pound a year or something. And uh, I'm only earning $100,000. I should be doing that. You commit to what you're doing mm-hmm. and stay with it. If it's a good idea, it'll happen. Yeah, of mm. course. but that—that's—I've seen so many young guys get themselves into that, uh, and they just—they blow it all up. They walk away from it, mm. and they try to get. Then they get the Deloitte job, and they work there for three years. By the way, in ten years, they're still earning three hundred thousand pound. Yeah, and they're saying to themselves, "Shit, I wish I had stuck with it." Because all the other guys that I know who did stick with it, yeah, look at they're doing now. Yeah, they just—they yep. just did a—they just sold out half the business for ten million or whatever. Yeah, that's. The game now, because the environment for raising money has changed, mm. because mm. there's more of you guys out there, mm. which is great for our economy, mm. great for Australia, yeah, great for you guys. How's that sound? Yeah, that's some great. That's good. Great advice. Hang great in advice. there, boys. Yeah. I mean, I, I love your idea, cool. and I got a, a good sense from the two of you that you're pretty patient. Um, I mean, everybody wants to get there fast, but you're pretty patient yeah. relative to your age, yeah. and you've done a lot for 24 year olds. Let me tell you. Thank you. Good Thank on you. you. Nice Appreciate to meet you. It.